Anybody heard the song uh, Started From The Bottom by Drake? Yeah, so today's message is called Started From The Bottom and you will see why as we finish the story. Now just quickly, what, while I was at university, in between I, I took a job in the summer. And one particular job I had, I basically had to ring people up on the phone and try and convince them to get Sky Television. Who's got Sky Television in their house? Wow, lots of you, very lucky. My mum and dad used to take it away from us when I was a kid. I, so I had to call them up and convince them that they should get Sky. And so I would call them up and I would tell them how amazing Sky is. You've got the sports channels, you've got the music channels, you can do this and you can do that. And, and they often would be like, wow, it sounds great, it sounds great. And then uh, they would say, yeah, you know what, I think I want Sky. And then you would say, okay, that's $79.99 a month. And they would say, no, I'm all right, thank you. Okay. That's quite often how it would go. And it used to always, you know, they love the product, but when they hear about the price, they, they don't want to know. And I was thinking about that because the story this morning, if you remember yesterday, the way that we finished was that Boaz was going to go and chat to this other bloke who might want be interested in roof and redeeming their land and that sort of thing there. And so in this morning, Boaz goes to chat to this guy and he says, listen, there's a situation uh, there's loads of land that's going to be sold by the widow Naomi. Uh, I wondered if you wanted to buy it. You know, it's a great piece of land. And the guy's like, yeah, you know what? I'm up for it. Yeah, and so they get all of the elders and the senior people in the town. And they say, the guy says, yeah, I'm up for doing this. And these will be my witnesses. And then he says, okay, just so you know, if you do take that stuff, then you, there's also a Moabite woman uh, who you're going to have to marry as well. Because uh, to redeem that land, there's obviously a woman, a widow that's been left behind. You need to redeem her. And at that point, the guy says, no, nah, I'm out. I'm not interested. Because he knew, and this is what he says. He says, because if I'm married to a Moabite woman, all of my land is basically worthless because no one's going to respect me. He knew that having a Moabite woman connected to him uh, was not a good thing. And it sort of reminds me about how good a bloke Boaz was. When I said to you at the start, that the fact that he is willing to take a Moabite woman. And what they did in this time, I find this quite funny. The elders, to sort of seal the deal, so they said, okay, Boaz, I'm not going to have her, you can marry her, you can have her land, and all of us elders, they're going to agree. And in you know, this day and age, we shake hands, don't we? In those days, they did something a bit different. Who's got a pair of uh, sliders on their feet this morning? Make some, put your hands up. A pair of these. Put them in the air if you've got them. Put them in the air if you've got them. Wave them around. Good. These are very popular amongst many of the youth in my church. And I thought I would wear mine this morning just to, to talk about this very point. In those days, what they would do, they would take off their sandal. They would take off their sliders and they would, they would swap a sandal. So they would take it off and they would swap it to someone else. And they didn't wear socks like you lot wear with these anymore. It was their bare foot. So they, you know, someone else's crusty foot's been in their sandal and they exchanged it with someone else. And that's how they sealed a deal in those days. And so Boaz has managed to seal a deal with the elders and he gets... And so a happy ending is coming. Now I'm going to tell you all about that happy ending. But before I did that, I woke up this morning... And I thought to myself, I've been with the 12s to 14s for three mornings in a row and none of them know how I've become a Christian. So I thought, would you like to hear how I became a Christian? Okay. I want you to cast your mind back 11 years. New Day 2005. The second ever New Day. In those days, we didn't meet in Norwich. We met just outside of Nottingham. And in the evenings, we didn't always go to a big top. We went to a football stadium. 
And in the middle of the football stadium, there was a, a, like a, a stage and you could stand on the pitch or you were in the stands. And so we'd all be in the stands and it would be a worship service and a preach. And it's this particular day, it's about this very week, 11 years ago, Adrian Holloway, who is still on the team, he was doing the healing stuff a couple of evenings ago. He was preaching about Jesus. He was preaching about how we can come and receive Jesus and we can invite him into our lives. And I thought, you know what, I quite like the sound of that. And so my older brother, Sean, he was with me. He was about 18 at the time. I was only 12. I turned to him and said, Sean, I think I I quite like the sound of this Jesus stuff. And he says, do you want to go down? I said, yeah, I think I'm going to go down. And so my brother Sean and his mate, they said, we'll go down with you. They're both about 18. And so we walked down the long stairs because we're right at the back of the stadium because we thought we were quite cool. And so we walked all the way down and we get to the stage. Now, let me set the scene for you. It's a very, very wet and rainy evening. The rain hammered down that week. The year before, we knew that New Day flooded. The whole event flooded. And so it was raining very hard. And we walk out. And we're sort of in the middle of the pitch by the stadium on, on the sort of section, that area. And as a kid, who's got an older brother or sister in the room? Wow, lots of us. When I was a kid, even still now really, I like to copy my brother. I would sort of do the things that, that he would do. And I looked at, as I'm, I'm about to walk forward and respond and get somebody to come and pray with me, I see out of the corner where my brother is run underneath the rope, he's dodged past the steward and he's running on the pitch with his friend. And so I'm there thinking, you know what? I want some of that. And so I'm there thinking, do I go forward and receive Jesus? Or do I run on the pitch and do a belly slide? And um, what I did is I ducked under the rope. I ran past the steward. I ran and I did the longest belly slide you can imagine. There's a photo on the screen of what a belly slide looks like. And so that was basically me, my brother, and my brother's mate sliding along. And so that night I did not become a Christian. I just got in loads of trouble with my youth group leader and with loads of stewards. Whoever in the next 24 hours can come and show me the longest, muddiest, wettest mudslide or belly slide that they can do on this campsite, I'll give you some sort of prize. I don't know what it is, but if you can get it on video, I will be very impressed and I'm looking for you to do that. So I didn't become a Christian that night, but I did become a Christian three years later at New Day. Three years later at New Day, it's funny because we spoke in the first morning, God has a plan, didn't we? Some people probably thought, cool, the plan's gone wrong there. Joe ended up on his belly. But actually, God had a plan. And a few years later, I was more about 14, 15, I came to New Day again. And uh, I realised this stuff about Jesus was true. The stuff that they were preaching about Jesus, I thought, you know what, this is true. And if it's true, then I've got to give my life to it. If this stuff is true, then, then I need to actually make a decision. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in a relationship. I'm going to give everything I have to God. And so I did that, and so there we go. I'm going to come back to that story a little bit later. But one more comment on it. I look back and I laugh, because I got so distracted by my brother and his mate. I basically just followed what they did. And I see it so often. So many of you, you will just follow your mates or your siblings. You know, there's an opportunity for you. There was an opportunity for me to follow, to, to give my life to Jesus, to really step in. But I decided to follow my brother and do a belly. It was good fun and it's a good memory. But I would say to you, don't be distracted by those around you. Don't just follow your mates. If they want to do something different to you, if, if they're saying, no, nah, this Jesus stuff ain't real, but you know in your heart it isn't, then go for it. Take that step. Don't do the thing that I did. Okay, let's hear the final part of our story. Uh, Our great friend Indiana, uh, her voice wasn't in the best way yesterday and so I decided to give her a break. And so I'm going to read you the final section 
of the book of Ruth. The words will come on the screen. I won't do as good a job as her, but I will try my best. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Anemidab, Anemidab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Let's quickly pray, and then we'll look at that together. Yeah, Father, we thank you just for these four mornings together. We thank you for this amazing story of Ruth. We pray that as we look at it together, Lord, we will, you will reveal yourself to us. We pray for you. We invite your Holy Spirit, come again and continue to move amongst us and let us know and learn more about your goodness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ruth becomes Boaz's wife. It didn't matter where she came from. It didn't matter that she was a Moabite. She becomes his wife. The book of Ruth, it's funny, isn't it? It starts with a funeral. You know, everybody dies and it ends with a, a wedding and somebody giving birth. She really did start from the bottom. She, Ruth, she started at the bottom and now she is here at this point in the story. What a, an amazing story. Naomi has grandkids. That was like the biggest privilege for a, a woman of her age at that time. The, the, the biggest blessing you could receive was to, to be able to have grandkids, to carry on your family name. And so she has grandkids. And the final image of the book is her with her grandchild. Naomi, let's think about her at the start of the story. She's seen some horrible times. Peak times, we called it, didn't we? She saw some peak times. And now she's seeing just some amazing times. You might be sitting there, I wonder if any of you are thinking, Joe, in the first morning you spoke about Disney films and you said life's not always a happy ending. But this story seems to be a little bit of a happy ending, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? It's a happy ending. It's like, hold on, you said it's not always a happy ending and then you've preached a story that has a really, really happy ending at the end. What's the point? The reason I do that is because this. I've told you already, this book, there's symbols in it and things represent other things. And this happy ending, it actually represents the happy ending that will be for anybody who believes and follows Jesus. The Bible talks about how in this world we will have trouble. But there will be a day when we die, actually we won't stay in the grave, that we will go to heaven. And when we go to heaven in that place, there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. It will be like a feast and a party full of praise and worship. And that will be the happiest time you've ever known. And so for anyone who does believe, actually, even though in this world it won't always be a happy ending, we have hope and we know that actually there is going to be a day when there will be a happy ending for all of us who believe. 
That is the truth of the Bible. And so Ruth in this story, it represents this glorious happy ending because that's the happy ending that is coming for all of us. And so we, we, we have to think that even if this world's difficult, even in the hardest times, we, they, we can take comfort. Lord, thank you, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when this pain of this world will no longer be around and I'll be with you in heaven. You see, this story is significant. And I want to, you need to get this about this story. I've got to be serious with you for a moment. This story isn't made up. Some of you might be, it's not one of the Disney stories. It ain't like Narnia. It's not some author who's made up a clever story. This story happened. This happened a few thousand years ago. These are real people. It was a real situation that God used and was written down to the still relevant to us 3,000 years later. It's not a made up story. After the marriage, they get married. Great. Then they have a baby. And there's a part in the book, I just read it, makes me laugh, in the story where basically the neighbours come in and they help give the son a name, which I always think is a bit weird. Uh, I don't want anyone naming, ever naming my kid. Can you guess the most popular names for boys in the UK? I want you to chat to the person next to you and top three names. Go. Okay. Did anybody, did, I, I tell you what, sometimes I have trouble getting 30 kids to shut up after I give them an exercise in school, and I've just managed to get about 2,000 people quiet in about five seconds. I don't know what, I, I wish that you that all came and taught in my school, or come and learnt in my school, it'd be great. Oh yeah, round of applause, thank you, thank you. Stand up. Who picked the name David? Hands up. You're wrong. The name, stand up if you said Oliver. Round of applause. Oliver is the most popular name for boys in the UK. According to the independent 2015 census, Oliver is the most popular name, followed closely by Jack, followed closely... Followed closely by Harry. I was surprised. Stand up if you're called Ollie or Oliver. One person. Three. Oh, wow. Only a few of you. Okay, sit back down. They don't, I don't know why I've really told you that. They don't call him Oliver, Jack or Harry. They call him Obed. They come in. And that's what they called him, but I just thought it was quite interesting when I was looking at it that Oliver's the most popular name. Now, this is where the story becomes, for me, just crazy. It's amazing. Because Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of King David. We know about King David. We've heard about him from Lufelinum. He becomes the father of King David, which is the greatest king in the Bible other than King Jesus. And there's, you know, there's one other place in the Bible where Ruth is mentioned. She's in this tiny small book and there's one other place in the whole of the Bible where Ruth gets herself a mention. And that is in Matthew 1, the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospels, for those of you who don't know, there are four Gospels at the start of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they're simply these men writing their accounts of walking and living with Jesus. And at the start of Matthew's Gospel, he decides, who knows, we all know what a family tree is, don't we? He decides he's going to start with basically Jesus' family tree. 
A list of the people in his family going back generations and generations. And it's like a line of his family. He actually calls it a genealogy. Everybody say genealogy. That's what it's called in the Bible. It's a fancy word. It just means a family tree. And the family line of Jesus is this. This is what's amazing about it. Think about Jesus. The amazing, very son of God, king of all. You'd think that his family tree would be full of kings and queens and just these amazing people. But when you read his family tree, it's full of all sorts of people in there. There's men, there's women, there's those who committed adultery, there's prostitutes, there's people that were unfaithful, there's, there's people that were foreigners, there's literally everything in between, people that didn't really belong to God's people. There's every type of person in God's family tree. And I've got a little picture to put you up just to explain how Jesus and Ruth are connected, a little timeline or a little family tree that should come up in a moment. We see something amazing. Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, is in the same family line as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Have you got that photo to come up? So, you can see there we've got uh, Boaz and Ruth, who have Obed and Jesse, and they have David. And then there's thousands of years in between. And in that family is Mary, who obviously gives birth to Jesus, the Christmas story. And so, you might be thinking, what on earth is a Moabite doing in the family line of Jesus? Why is she there? I'll tell you why that is true. Matthew 1 is trying to show that anybody, anybody is accepted in the family line of Jesus. He's not looking for particularly perfect people, but he's looking for people from all different places and anyone is actually accepted. That's the reason I told you my story at the start, my testimony. Because what is actually true is, you know, the way I became a Christian, the way that Ruth is in the family line of Jesus, when I became a Christian, I too entered into that line, that family of Jesus. Because there was a day with Ruth when she was wrapped in her sin and her guilt and her shame. She was destined for hell. She was lost in her rubbish But through the grace and the kindness of Boaz, she is redeemed and she finds herself now in the family line of Jesus. And the same is true for us. There is a day when all of us are lost in our sin, destined for hell, in our rubbish and in our mess. But through the kindness and the grace and the goodness of God, he made a way for us to be brought into Jesus' family. The Bible says that we're like adopted spiritually as sons and daughters of God. That we're brought into his family. We're rescued and we're redeemed. That's how the Bible describes it. Whatever your story. Because you know like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, a foreigner. Do you know who else was a foreigner? Who left his father in heaven. Who came to be a human. He who migrated to earth who became an outsider, who was beaten and cursed and crushed with a crown of thorns put on his head and now to a cross for the sins of all people, even though he himself was faultless and blameless, who experienced peak times more than anyone else. Steph spoke about it so well yesterday. He was bleeding, he was sweating blood. It's Jesus. 
And from the start to the end, this book we've been looking at, the four days, from the very start to the very end, it points to Jesus. Every character points to Jesus. Every single chapter points to Jesus. Jesus told people, when, they, when he came, people said, he says, you study the, the scriptures, you study the Old Testament, and you don't realise it points to me. Every single thing in this book, Old Testament, New Testament, it all points to Jesus. Everything that you will read. And that's how we end this story. Because Jesus came, because Jesus died, because he made a way, we can have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. That grace that I spoke about yesterday, the only reason it's possible is because of Jesus. That we have a God who understands our situations, who has a plan for our life, it's because of that. There's a phrase that I use, it's called, uh, it wasn't me who used it, it's a phrase for years. It's been called the Great Exchange. And the Great Exchange is this. Jesus, perfect, righteous, holy, never did anything wrong in his life, son of God, And then you have us, wrapped in our mess and our rubbish and our sin. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. And there's something called the great exchange, because what Jesus did when he came on the cross is he takes our sin and our rubbish and our mess and he exchanges it for his perfection and his perfectness. He exchanges it. And so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin and our rubbish, but he sees his son's perfection and righteousness. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried, it is finished. And when he went to the grave, he didn't stay there. He rose again victorious and he defeated our sin and our mess and our rubbish. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. And when Jesus, when when God looks at us, he doesn't see it, but he sees his son. It's called the great exchange. And some of you will probably be sitting there thinking, now, Joe, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done or the way that I think or you don't know about my family. There's things I could tell you about myself. Listen, Ruth was a Moabite woman who had no right. I can tell you this now. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look like. God doesn't care about age or race or gender or height or your family background. Those things do not matter to him. He accepts you however you feel about yourself. He loves you however you feel about yourself. He wants to bring you into his family however you think about yourself. And all he does, all he says is, all he demands is this, is that you come before him in repentance. He says, believe in my name and repent. You acknowledge your sin. We have to. We have to acknowledge, God, I'm living in sin. I'm trying to do it my way and it's no good. I can't do it. We repent, we come, we say, I'm going to turn away from that. I confess it before you. I say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for you, Jesus. That's all he says. Repent, and then we believe. We can ask for forgiveness. And every single time, he welcomes us in. You cannot earn it. You literally have to accept it. The grace of God. Jesus is the way I describe him, our greater Boaz. That's who Jesus is. He's like a greater Boaz. Ruth, she goes to Boaz in the story, isn't she? and he did all the work. He, he provides for her, he protects her, he gives her food, he then marries her, he brings her into the community, he redeems her. Ruth goes to Boaz and he does the work. You know what? We go to Jesus and he does the work. We don't have to do the work. He has already done it. We simply go to him. We simply come to his feet. 
And we're going to have an opportunity to do that this morning because I know there's some of you out there who have never done that. There's some of you there who are thinking, I've, I've never come to Jesus. I've never repented before him. I've never said, Jesus, I need you. I, I repent of my sin and, and I accept who you are. Some of us have never done that. And actually, there's going to be a time for you to do that this very morning. In a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to worship and sing. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward. And for the very first time, or maybe for another time, you're going to come forward and you say, God, I repent and I believe. You're going to come to Jesus and he's going to do the rest for you. And there's others of you that you know you've come to Jesus before, but you know you've, you've turned back around and you're just walking this way again. You're going this way. And you know that you need to turn back around and you need to come back to his feet and you need to repent and ask for forgiveness and you need to say, God, I'm so thankful. Why me, a foreigner? But I accept your grace and I love you for it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And then we're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to sing about To respond to Jesus. To come before him. To become a part of his family. To be rescued and to be redeemed. I'm going to ask that you just stand quietly for me, please. Just stand quietly. And I'm going to pray for us. Don't speak to your mates around you. It's not a moment for that now. This is just a moment for us just to still our hearts before God as we, as we worship. I'm going to pray and... And we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that when he stood before you, he didn't hide away from the cross. He said, your will be done. And when he hung on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And that valley cry, that victory cry, reigns for us today. It is finished, O oh God. We thank you that you defeated the power of sin when you rose again from death. That it has no power over us. And that we can simply come to you, King Jesus, knowing that there's nothing we can do except say, God, we're sorry and we love you and we want to live for you. We thank you, King Jesus. Amen.